queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This morning, the International Court of Justice delivered its first decision in South Africa's case against Israel. South Africa is accusing Israel of violating the Genocide Convention in Gaza. Today's decision looks at whether to impose emergency measures against Israel in its war against Hamas. The court stopped short of ordering a ceasefire, but did order Israel to take all measures within its power to prevent acts of genocide in Gaza. A final decision on that genocide claim could be years down the road. Nala Ayad has been following this case closely. She was in The Hague earlier this month for the hearing. She, of course, is the host of CBC Radio's Ideas, and she's with me in studio now. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. You've just started to parse through this decision. What do we know thus far? Well, we were just listening to the ruling as it was delivered by the president of the court, Joan Donahue, uh, in which she did, as you say, uh, say that the court agreed that Israel should take all measures within its power to prevent commission of all acts that could constitute a violation of the Genocide Convention. In leading up to that decision, Matt, she did paint a very bleak picture of the situation in Gaza. It's, she said that the court agreed that there is a real and imminent risk to Palestinians in Gaza while it considers the bigger question of whether there has been a violation of the Genocide Convention. It de she described that the military uh, operation conducted by Gaza has resulted in a large number of deaths and injuries and massive destruction of homes and forcible displacement of large portions uh, of the civilian population. Um, the court also, she says, has taken note of a number of statements by senior Israeli officials um, that have uh, suggested an incitement uh, to killing people in Gaza. So for those reasons, the court has agreed that there should be emergency uh, provisions or an injunction, if you will, to prevent or try to slow the violence in Gaza until they look at the bigger question. She did take a moment, though, to point out that, that this in no way prejudges the question of whether the actions have genocidal intent. She said that the court is gravely concerned about the fate of hostages, Israeli hostages, and called for an immediate and unconditional release of those hostages, but it disagreed with Israel. It said it will not throw out this case. And it stopped short of ordering a ceasefire. The court did as well. Correct. Just remind us who's on the ju judicial board that would make this decision. Well, normally the ICJ is made up of 15 judges uh, who are elected to nine-year terms for diff from different countries. And the custom usually is that for the, the countries involved who are in the actual case, they have a right, uh, if they don't have representation on the panel, they have a right to add one of their own. And so an Israeli and a South African judge were added to the panel just before the hearings began. They were sworn in uh, to participate in this decision. You were in The Hague when the hearings for this court were taking place. What yeah. was it like in that courtroom? Well, we were inside the Peace Palace watching from the press uh, room, and it was hard to miss, Matt, that uh, there was a lot of pain in that room. 
I mean, as you can imagine, the questions are complicated and the issues are really deeply personal and cultural and, and even existential for everybody involved. So for South Africa, you know, invoking the history of, of apartheid for Israel with the history of the Holocaust and, of course, also the attacks on October 7th and for Palestinians in Gaza, who uh, whose entire existence has been uh, abandoned, of course, for Palestinians and Israelis as a whole who've been dealing with this conflict for 75 years. So it was inevitable, you know, despite the fact that the president of the court, Joan uh, Donahue, said, you know, do, don't enter the, into the merits of the case beyond what is strictly necessary. Over those two days of hearing, six hours, three hours to each side, it was inevitable that this massive conflict was going to be compressed in that short a time that it was going to be emotional. And so it was a, a charged environment, mm. a very cordial and uh, courteous environment, but absolutely emotional. A charged environment inside and outside. I mean, we've seen this already this morning as absolutely. well with protests and yeah. different groups uh, representing different constituencies sure. who were there outside the court. Absolutely. And there were also representation of, in, uh, inside and outside with the protesters outside and the people inside, representation from people from Gaza. And there were also families of the Israel, of some of the Israeli hostages who were among the protesters outside. So there were there was a lot of pressure on the, anyone watching and there was a lot of emotion, uh, both inside and outside the courtroom. I think one of the things, because of the nature of this, there was some confusion that that this would be a ruling on the, the merits of the case itself. Right. And that's right. not what we heard this morning. The, we, the, the, the decision on this genocide claim could be years down the road. Absolutely. Um, the, what has happened is that South Africa came forward with an application in December, late December, asking the court to look into possible contravention of the Gen genocide convention. However, in con contained in that application was a request for em those emergency measures. And those are always heard very quickly by the court in, in other cases that we've watched uh, exactly with this kind of approach. And so that we always expected that very narrow question to be dealt with quickly and to, uh, you know, deal with that matter so that the court could then move on and look at the bigger matter, which will take likely will take several years to deal with. At the heart of that bigger matter, what was, what was the argument that South Africa was making in its well, case? Well, the argument that uh, South Africa was making was that um, they they cited the mass killing uh, of thousands and thousands of Palestinians uh, who've been killed since October 7th, the mass displacement of the majority of the population, the prevention of access to humanitarian aid for the people of Gaza as examples of what they described as acts that have could have genocidal intent. They pointed out that there is is really nowhere safe in Gaza. The, the, the relentlessness of the bombing campaign and the destruction of civilian infrastructure like hospitals and universities, they describe them as, as intended, quote, to bring about the destruction of a substantial part of the Palestinian national, racial, and ethnical group. What was Israel's position? Israel's position was one of self-defense, and it is a, 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 an argument they have made both inside and outside the court that um, they said it, it is their actions are a response to what happened on October 7th when more than 1,200 Israelis were killed and 240 people taken hostage. They spent a great deal of time explaining how provisional measures would tie their hands in dealing with a force, Hamas, that Israel views as genocidal. And so they argued that um, Hamas is culpable by operating within civilian infrastructure, and they provided evidence that, opposing entirely what South Africa was saying, that Israel was in fact providing humanitarian assistance and evacuations in Gaza. And really what they asked the court to do was to throw out the case altogether. What do we know about what happens now? Again, these are provisional measures that yes. have been put forward, in addition to the understanding that this case can move forward itself. Mm -hmm. um, what do we know about 
What happens? How likely? Israel has been told to uh, take all measures within its power to prevent acts of genocide. Uh, has to report back to the court within a month on what right. it's doing to uphold that order. So, what the ball's now in Israel's court in some ways? What 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 are we expecting? It sure is. I'm sure we will be hearing from uh, Israeli officials shortly um, as a reaction to this. What we have heard just shortly after the hearings from Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister himself, is that he vowed to continue Israel's war in Gaza until quote total victory. Um, he said that nobody will stop us not the Hague, not the Axis of Evil, and not anyone else. He essentially called the case um, a low point in the history of nations. So it's unclear, really, whether Israel will comply. But it's important to note, as you said, that the court does not have a way to enforce this decision. If Israel does not comply, and if South Africa wants to go further, they can go to the Security Council. But as you know, the Security Council is divided on this question. Um, There is increasing international pressure for a ceasefire, and there are negotiations going on as we speak. So this decision today could help Israel's allies put more pressure on Israel to halt its military operations. But immediately, at least I would say that for the people of Gaza, not much is likely going to change until negotiations bear fruit. And so what happens next with this case? Because this is, again, just the very the very, very beginning in some ways of, of, of what we can expect from this case. Yeah. Well, it, it begins uh, to to take its course. And as I mentioned, Israel has a, a chance to still question the jurisdiction of this court. But ultimately, once that's taken care of, then the actual merits of the case will be discussed. And that, again, will take years. Nala, thank you very much. You're welcome. Nala Ayad is the host of CBC Radio's Ideas, former foreign correspondent covering the Middle East. And she was in The Hague earlier this month for the hearings on this case. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Byers is a Canada Research Chair in Global Politics and International Law at the University of British Columbia. He has been following this decision this morning. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning. I want to talk about the specifics, but broadly, what do you make of what the International Court of Justice has ruled on thus far in saying that this case can go forward, not uh, ordering a ceasefire, but calling on Israel, as I say, to take all measures within its power to prevent acts of genocide in Gaza? I think the uh, court has made itself an ongoing mediator in the uh, dispute and therefore uh, in the the situation in Gaza because it has ordered Israel to prevent genocide. It's ordered Israel to take measures to prevent and punish direct incitement of genocide. And it's told Israel that the Israeli lawyers need to come back within a month to explain what actions Israel has been taking. So the court is now in dialogue with the government of Israel and its lawyers. Um, If the court had simply said, okay, you have to uh, have a complete ceasefire, Israel might have walked away and said, we're not coming back. But now Israel is going to come back. And so the International Court of Justice has made itself a central player in this crisis in the Middle East. You were watching this unfold. What did you make of how... um 
Joan Donahue, who is the president of the court, framed the lead up to her announcement of the decision, in part because she spent a good deal of time talking about what she understands um, through UN uh, sources and those on the ground in Gaza, what the situation on the ground in Gaza actually is like. Well, she she's made it very clear that uh, uh, the low burden of proof required for an order of provisional measures ha- has been met. She, she, she's pointed to the, uh, uh, the large uh, number of, of, of casualties, uh, the civilian suffering. And, and she also uh, read out a couple of inflammatory statements by senior Israeli officials that uh, uh, go towards the, the case of, of an intent to destroy another people. Officials, officials uh, including the defense minister, Yoav Gallant. Yeah, so so although the court does not need to decide that there actually is genocide here, uh, the, uh, the 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 president of the court has has said, look, we have evidence before us that uh, that points in that direction, and there's enough of this evidence uh, for us to to proceed and to to order uh, provisional measures. Um, the court also decided that there was a prima facie, a, a self-evident, uh, though not conclusive, uh, uh, establishment of, of jurisdiction here, uh, that it protected the, the Palestinian people. Uh, the court doesn't need to say that it absolutely has jurisdiction. That will be decided later. It doesn't need to say that there is absolutely certainly genocide, but the uh, uh, the arrows are all pointed in that direction, and then the court uses that to to provide some pretty precise uh, orders to to Israel that can be followed up within a month, and perhaps then a month later, and then maybe again a month later, as it pushes Israel's lawyers to explain. What is Israel doing to follow international law? What if Israel chooses not to follow the order from the court? The national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, on X, formerly known as Twitter, said after the world court order, these are his words, Haig Schmeg. Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu has said, and, and Nala Ayad uh, mentioned this, that nothing, these are his words, nothing will stop us. Not the Hague, not the axis of evil, not anyone else. Is, is, do you have the sense that Israel will follow the, the orders from the court? I suspect that, that the Israeli government was prepared to walk away had the court ordered a complete ceasefire. But the court has wrong-footed them here in not ordering a full ceasefire, but saying, look, you, you you have to take actions to prevent genocide. Come back and tell us what you're doing. And, and of course, the Israeli lawyers have so far argued that, that genocide is not occurring because Israel is taking measures to, to ensure that, that innocent civilians are not uh, disproportionately put at risk, et cetera, et cetera. They have to come back and make those same arguments, but in the context of an ongoing situation, and they have to show progress. They have to show that they're doing more than they were over the course of, of the last few months. So now the court has put itself right in the middle of this. Israel has has essentially validated the legitimacy of this process by sending its lawyers in the first place. I was going to say, is it, is it more difficult for Israel to invalidate the, the, the ruling such as it is because Israel vigorously defended itself in this court? Exactly. If it if it walks away, it's it's essentially saying that uh, uh, it, it it's not capable of making further argument that that it was not being a forthright in its uh, statements about uh, about 
trying to protect civilians. Now, this this dialogue, I suspect, will continue between the Israeli government and the International Court of Justice. It's a, a very intelligent move, I think, by the court, because we need a body like this to induce the Israeli government to do better. What, if anything, does this ruling mean for Hamas? Hamas is a party in, in this war, obviously, not a party to the court, because uh, it, it's not the one that's been hauled in, in, in front of the ICJ. But does this mean anything for Hamas? Um, well, Hamas is, uh, is, is, not, is not part of this case. Uh, the Hamas leaders are being investigated by the International Criminal Court and could well one day end up in a different building in The Hague, uh, for alleged crimes of, of genocide. That's entirely possible. Uh, but no, this case is between uh, the Israeli government and uh, a foreign government uh, putting forward the rights of, of Palestinian civilians. So, so if anything, this case is between the Israeli government and, and Palestinian civilians, um, although those civilians are not a nation state and couldn't initiate the case. The president of the International Court of Justice, John Donahue, is an American. She voted, um, and in terms of running through the, the the list of us, she voted in favor in many ways of, of reigning in Israel and calling for uh, Israel to take measures, as I say, to prevent acts of genocide. What do you make of that? I mean, she's, she will be an independent uh, voice, but she's also an American. And I wonder, in, in the context of this, when... U.S. President Joe Biden has been pressing uh, Israel, in his words, for restraint. He's also facing political consequences for this, whether that complicates the story at all. I think the the middle ground that the court took today, uh, in other words, not ordering a full ceasefire, but, but requiring Israel to come back, uh, may have been the result of negotiations between the, the different judges. They, they wanted to have an overwhelming majority speaking with a single voice. And, and this path that they've taken may have enabled that. Um, but no one doubts that the American uh, judge is, is independent from the uh, the U.S. government. Uh, um, these people are, are appointed because they are professionals. Mm. Um, but but yes, it certainly uh, would have helped to bring the court together to speak with a single voice to assert that authority over the situation in Gaza. Um, the Israeli government will not be happy with this judgment today because they know that they pretty much have to go back to The Hague in a month, and then again, probably a month later, that they will have to show that they are taking measures, more stronger measures, to protect innocent civilians. What about here in Canada? We're just in the last couple of minutes that we have. Uh, Justin Trudeau has tried to walk a, a line um, saying that he you know, has great support for international law, but also that his government does not accept the premise of South Africa's case that it brought to the ICJ. Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister, was asked about that earlier this week and said, my statement is my statement. What does this decision mean for Canada? Well, I'm often critical of uh, the Canadian government on its foreign policy decisions, but I think it got it exactly right in this situation. This case is not about Canada. It's between South Africa and Israel. Both those countries have superb international lawyers making the arguments. Uh, Canada intervening in the case would add nothing. Uh, Canada criticizing uh, South Africa would 
not add anything um, except delegitimize Canada. Um, no, we we stand for the court. We're involved in five cases before the court right now. Uh, the Canadian government got this absolutely right. Uh, this is not uh, our fight. Uh, we can contribute our diplomatic influence our legal influence on other situations. And in many ways, this is, I mean, this war has gone on for some time, but just very briefly, this is the beginning of this legal saga in many ways. Oh, yes. We are going to be talking about this uh, for the next several years. And it's a good thing because that means the Israeli government will have to explain itself again and again. Michael, we'll leave it there. I'm glad to talk to you. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Michael Byers is Canada Research Chair in Global Politics and International Law at the University of British Columbia. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.